Hello and welcome to Where the Rubber Meets the Road podcast with Safe Ride for Kids. You know, driving is the most dangerous activity that we do every day, but we recognize your family has places to be and things to do. At Safe Ride for Kids, we help you and your family arrive safely by equipping you with innovative products and access to our to unbiased information from our team of certified safety experts. That's us. <laughs> I'm Greg DeRocher. Today, I'm co-founder and CEO at Safe Ride for Kids, but my first career was actually as a firefighter paramedic, where unfortunately, I did get to see uh, you know, firsthand the devastation that car crashes can have on individuals and families. And that's also where I got started in injury prevention education. Back in 2000, I got certified as a, a certified child passenger safety technician because you know, a child's safety in the car is largely dependent upon the, the parents and the caregivers' choices. Um, I've been an instructor of the car seat curriculum, certifying technicians since 2001. I am Amy DeRocher. I'm co-founder and creative director at Safe Ride for Kids. I became a certified car seat technician back in 2004. Gosh, that seems like a long time ago. <laughs> I write most of the content for our website, and we are parents to three children. And today... Three, huh? three awesome kids. Three awesome kids. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the five-step seatbelt fit test. Now, last week, we briefly went over this. Um, didn't go over it, but... Um, touched on it. Touched on it uh, when we were talking about transitioning too early. Um, and it's transitioning transitioning from the booster seat to the seat belt, and we want to make sure that the children pass the five-step seat belt fit test before they do that. So the, dan- the dangers that we're talking about is if a child transitions from a seat belt positioning device to the vehicle seat belt system too early, what are the you know what are the problems with that? Why is it important to delay that until the child, you know, until it's appropriate? The biggest thing is that the vehicle's seatbelt system is built for adults, obviously, right? And children's anatomy is fundamentally different from ours in a couple of ways. The first is that their pelvis, uh, the pelvic bone is smaller and not as developed or formed as ours are. So if you reach down and feel your pelvic bone when you're in a seated position, you can feel where that seatbelt is going to, you know, there's that notch there on your hip. And that's where the seatbelt is going to engage you and I as adults. Two things. A child that area on a child's body is lower in the vehicle, which means that there's more possibility for the seatbelt to come off of the hip bone and into the abdominal area. And in a crash, what's going to happen is the body's, the child's body is going to be flung forward, you know, with you know, massive amounts of force. And if that seatbelt isn't engaging their hip bone, if it actually protrudes into the abdomen area, it has the, the, what, the way it's going to work is the child's spinal column is going to be pushing forward against the seatbelt and compressing the internal organs that are between the spine and the seatbelt. 
that's not a good situation. So there's a couple of different ways that we can mitigate that. One is with a booster seat. And that's what this whole seatbelt positioning stage, the third step in the seatbelt safety progression or child restraint progression is seatbelt positioning. So a booster seat is designed to lift the child up so that the lap portion of the seatbelt is going to engage their hip bone um, more like it would an adult. The second component of the seatbelt is the shoulder belt. Do you want to talk about the shoulder belt and why positioning of the shoulder belt is important? No, I think you should talk about that. <laughs> but I did want to say that um, part of the design of the booster seat is actually kind of creating a, what do you want to say, like a fake hip bone. Um, so yeah, when the, the seat belt, the lap belt goes, you know, kind of under what looks like just a uh, armrest. Two of armrest, yeah. It's really just um, creating the hip bone for the child. And that's going to prevent that seatbelt from going past the child's belly and into their abdomen mm -hmm. because that, that component of this, the booster seat that's holding, that's create, that's holding the little armrest is actually going to prevent the seatbelt from going back. That's a good point. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, the shoulder belt is a different issue. If you imagine a child who is too small for the shoulder belt to fit them correctly, sitting in the vehicle seat with, without any kind of a seatbelt positioning device. You can kind of imagine that the shoulder belt is going to be up near their neck. Now, a lot of parents are, are very concerned that they believe that the seatbelt itself is going to cause injury to the neck. And that's actually a misconception. The seatbelt being at or near the neck doesn't actually cause injury. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. The child gets annoyed with that, <clears throat> with the seatbelt rubbing on their neck. I get annoyed with the seatbelt rubbing on my neck. <laughs> <laughs> so what do they do? They do what any normal person would do. They, they try to remove the annoying seatbelt, right? So some kids will try to put the seatbelt under their arm or behind their back. And what that does is effectively leaves them in a lap-only seatbelt, which is a very, very, very dangerous thing for them to do. Because in a crash, what's going to happen is their body's essentially going to fold in half across that seatbelt, the lap portion of the seatbelt. And then, like we just talked about, the shoulder belt or the lap belt coming into their abdomen, it's even worse now because now they don't have any upper body restraint. And that lap belt really intrudes into the abdomen and all of the crash forces, all of the restraining forces are, are causing injury to their internal organs. And that's actually called seatbelt syndrome. And hey, you can, hey, we have a blog about that too. We do have a blog about that. So... The whole idea of keeping them in the seatbelt positioning device is to make sure that that shoulder belt is on the shoulder, mid-chest, mid-shoulder, so that it's comfortable. And secondly, so that the lap portion of the seatbelt remains you know, on the tops of the thighs or low on the pelvis 
so that in a crash, it's going to be engaging with the hip bones. And like I said, a booster seat is designed to lift that child up so that that seatbelt lands on their body more appropriately. Whereas the ride safer vest actually brings the seatbelt down to the child to help the, the seatbelt fit the child. And it has a clip on the shoulder that holds the seatbelt on the shoulder. It has clips that hold the lap belt on the lap of the child. And it has a lot of, um, the way that it's engineered and designed, there's a lot of material and a lot built into the vest that's going to prevent the seatbelt from intruding into the child's abdomen. And it's designed to absorb and dissipate the crash forces or the restraining forces of the seatbelt uh, interacting with the child. So, you know, we believe the Ride Safer is a really, really cool product that does a really good job of preventing injury. So the five-step test is a way for a parent or guardian to evaluate how does this child uh, fit in the adult seatbelt, in just the vehicle seatbelt without any adjunct devices. So Amy's going to run through um, what those five steps are, but we also want to refer you to our website, and we're going to give you a short code, which is sr4k.com forward slash five step test. No, just five step. Just five step. Yep. sr4k, the number four dot com forward slash five step and that will take you to a blog post that describes the five steps and some other things and shows cool. your picture so what are those five steps so number one um, you want the shoulder belt crossing between the neck and the shoulder so mid shoulder um, mid shoulder mid chest is where the shoulder belt should be <clears throat> secondly you want the lower back up against the vehicle seat so your butt right there in the crack of the seat and you want your knees to be able to bend at the end of the seat. So that's number three. So essentially, if your child has to scoot forward in the vehicle seat for their legs to bend at the edge of the seat, they're not ready to be without a seatbelt positioning device yet. Right. Um, number four is the lap belt stays on the upper thighs and the hip bones. And number five, the child can ride like this for the entire ride. So no squirming, no laying over, flopping over sideways. No slowly <laughs> scooting your legs down so that your butt's not back in the bite of the seat anymore because they really weren't quite long enough. So you can imagine that, you know, depending on which seating position, how this could change from car to car. For example, we have a, a vehicle that has a third row seat. Well, the seats, the third row seats are smaller than the middle row seats. So the child passed the five-step test earlier in the third row than they would in the middle row. Right. That's what happened with our son. He uh, five-stepped out of the third row when he was about nine and a half. But in the middle row, he still would have required um, some sort of booster belt positioning device. Before he was nine years old. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he's a pretty tall kid. And so it really is not about age or weight. Right. A lot of the laws, the state laws say, you know, keep your child in a booster seat until eight years old. Some sadly are. <laughs> that's the highest any state goes, right? That's the highest any state goes. Um, some are as young as six or even five. Come on, Florida, South Dakota, get them up there. <laughs> um, 
Yes, I know. I keep throwing you under the bus. So, but most children at age eight can't fit the seatbelt properly. So probably a lot of children, not until 10, sometimes even 12 years old, won't fit the seatbelt. So um, a lot of people say, you know, four foot nine inches, which is a good guideline, um, but you really want to be having the child take the five-step test and, and test these five fit. Because it kind of depends how the kid's built. You know, some kids are leggier and longer tor- or, or longer tor- torsos. It, it just depends on how the kid's built, whether or not they're going to pass, and the vehicle. And the vehicle seat, right, absolutely. So with that, what is our safety tip this week? Our safety tip is even if your child can pass the five-step test, that does not mean it's time to let them sit up front. Children should stay in the back seat until they're at least 13 years old. Awesome. And we went into that more in depth, why that's important in our previous podcast, which is the transitions too early. Um, But if we didn't go in depth far enough, we do have a blog post about that too. So just just go to our website and search. Search. um, When can my child sit in the front seat? And we also have a video on our blog um, that shows the five-step test. So it's kind of Greg walking through it with our oldest son um, when he was, I think, 10. So, And you can see that if you go to our website and search booster seat to seatbelt. Very good. So this week's parenting tip is choose your battles. <laughs> and I'm sure, you know, we've all heard this as parenting advice in one form or another, um, that you don't want to be, you know, constantly nitpicking uh, every choice and behavior that your kids make. <laughs> and your kids really don't want you doing it. They really don't want you doing it. And it has to, you know, it, it, at some point it becomes counterproductive. You know, and could potentially hurt their, we'll call it emotional intelligence or their self-esteem, things of that nature. So how do you pick a strategy that's going to work for you and the kids? And I think that's a really important thing to think about. And here we're going to give you an example or a, a sample strategy to to think about implementing and to maybe vary as over the, you know, depending on how old your kid or how old and mature your kid is, you know, what stage of development are they at? But the general strategy is pick, you know, two to four, maybe just two or three of the things that are most important for you. If they're really young, just one or two. Yeah. (laughs) That that's like the number one thing you want them to be accountable for. Everything else is, you know, you're going to let slide or is secondary. Um, pretty much that you're going to let slide because these two to four things are the most important. And you're going to talk to the child in advance so that you both understand what these two to four things are with very clear rules. Second step of the process is that you agree in advance what the punishment is going to be for breaking one of, or for not meeting one of those rules. And then the third step in the process is actually strictly enforcing the punishment. 
And the reason that number two is important, the agreeing in advance, is a lot of times kids feel that the punishments, um, you know, put down on them for breaking a rule are very arbitrary. They don't understand why they're getting the punishment that they're getting. You know, um, we do this a, a little bit differently at our house. We don't have two or three things that we're strictly Enforcing. must enforce this. Um, but we do often talk about, you know, this is how we want you to behave. This is your time limits on electronics or what have you. What is going to happen if you don't meet your obligations, don't comply. Um, and they help us come up with the punishment. And sometimes they're pretty harsh, <laughs> harsher than we are. Yeah. So then we the guys, well, we're like, yeah, that's probably more than it needs to be. So let's dial it back a little bit. But essentially when you agree in advance to what the punishment's going to be, now they know what the punishment's going to be and they have to decide if they're going to live with that for breaking the rule or not meeting the, the expectation or the obligation that they agreed to. So hopefully that's helpful to give a strategy that's really acceptable to both you and them. You get the top two to four things that are really, really important to you for their lifelong well-being. And they have clear idea of what's can, what they're being uh, held accountable for. And that if it's not one of those two to four things, it's you know up to their judgment, their personal choice, if they're going to do those things or not. Right. And I think that's important, too, is that you can't just keep adding on to the list. Like uh, this week, these are really important to me. And next week, these are really important to me. And this yeah. other thing. Because then it's they, they, you know, they lose trust in you, quite frankly. They, 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 they don't believe you. <laughs> they lose trust in you keeping your word, essentially, which is... A, an important thing that that you they're able to trust you as much as you want to be able to trust them so with that thank you for joining us this week joining us on the where the rubber meets the road podcast with safe ride for kids and uh take care and drive safe till next time